We are in Romans 15, 1 through 5, and if you'll take out your handout, it'll be in your mind, um, because when you take your notes in a, in a rural community that the internet is not real good, you, you end up with something like this. And then when you come home and type them up and you think this is going to be awesome, I will print these up and this will be fantastic. And so I printed up my notes, not your handout, so that I would have a little bit bigger writing to read, and hit the print for mine and nothing came up. It just was spitting out blank paper and I thought, okay, Lord, we'll do it this way. So um, I will try to pull in my 30 years of teaching experience and explain to you the best that I can Romans 15, 1 through 13. Um, it's funny, though, I walked to the back uh, to put a, where our little music stand, I put that back in the back, uh, and what did I walk past but all of this physical education equipment. And I thought, oh, man, I could make a physical education lesson out of Romans 15, getting along playing together, and those type things. So, uh, but before we dive into Romans 15, uh, we, we will cover our Westminster Shorter Catechism, and I believe we will use our amazing Trinity hymnals. I believe it's on page 875. If you want to turn there, or if you have your app that you should so, so download... Um, but 875. Amazing how this goes along with our, our lesson. So question 885 on page 875 says, What doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? And the answer, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption. So what an what a honor it is to be able to turn to the back of our hymnal and receive great truth. What's required of us that we may escape his, his wrath? Faith, the gift that we've been given. And then because of that faith, we realize the wickedness of who we are. And yet we are able to go to the one true God and confess those sins. And then he graciously forgives us. And that is just... You could just do a lesson on that, and we could read the, the, the passages of Scripture that go along with that. If you have the app, it gives you about four or five of those verses that support where those answers come from. And it's just a comforting, encouraging hope that we have that our Lord, our gracious Father, forgives us our forgives us of our sins and grants us peace and reconciliation with him. Amen? So the question again, and then you guys 
will recite the answer. Question, what doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? Answer, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicated to us the benefits of redemption. Amen. And those outward means, do we know what those are? What are they, Tim? Right, yeah, right. And we, we experienced a lot of that yesterday, um, even as we fellowship together, right? With fellowship of the saints, we gather together. And how important it is. I was talking to some folks this morning that COVID has really done a number. Some people are yet not back in church. It's a, it, it has worked a terrible thing for us and yet when we gather there's something special about that shaking hands or giving a hug or just asking how are you today I really want to know how you're doing those things are, are greatly important but we get to hear God's word and this lesson this this chapter is a lot of that so let's dive into Romans 15 and we will um, move on from there. I'm going to kind of take this verse by verse in this first section. In your chapter, it is probably divided, I would imagine, much like mine, uh, verses 1 through 7 and then 8 through 13. You probably have a break in your chapter as well. So we'll kind of split that up, but the first seven verses we'll take kind of together and then we'll we'll hit the the second half. So let me read this to us and um, we'll go from there. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, 
Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to, the rule, to, to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may abound in hope. Go ahead, say it. Amen. And that kind of sums up a bit of this chapter. Not all of it, but we'll kind of, we'll kind of break into that. So, um, so verse 1, you that are strong, bear with the weak. Don't please yourself, but look to please or elevate others. Little theme there that comes in, in Scripture. Where else in Scripture do we see that we are to bear with the weak? Where do we have to, where do we bear with the weak? Pardon? Peter? The last chapter, okay, good. Romans 14, yeah. So give us an overview real quick of the last chapter. The last time I was here, I believe Tim was teaching in Romans 12? Okay, first half of 14. So that was like two, two, three weeks ago. Um, so what did we learn through chapter 14? Jewish, the church is comprised of Jewish and Gentile Christians. Okay. Laws and, laws and rituals, right? And then the Gentiles. Gentile Christians are not following those, and there's conflict in the church. Boom, they're butting heads, okay? Do we, I think Tim had asked the question just as he was closing his lesson, do we still have issues in church? We don't have any, do we, David? No. No, we do have issues, and some of those issues are baptism, baptism. election, election. Gifts, of the spirit. gifts of the Spirit, okay, music, style, liturgy, those type things. Um, so they're, they're in, the, in this opening verse who is the we that Paul is talking about we who are strong <laughs> did you hear the answer Presbyterians okay uh, who who would the we be who is Paul talking of here right right Okay, yeah, it is. It's very interesting because you would think that Paul would identify as a Jew because he was the Jew of all Jews, 
leader of all leaders, you know, he was that, but no, he is identifying more with, because as you, as you read through Romans, you almost get this um, antinomian versus, um, um, what's the, legalism. legalism. You get this fight going on. I've got to keep everything, which would be the Jews, or the Gentiles would lean more toward, well, I can do whatever I want to do because I have been lavished with grace. And Paul is, is, is drawing them together, and he's telling everyone, yes, you have been lavished with grace, but that does not give you the right to continue to sin. May that never be, by no means. That is, is, is this fight. But the Jews would say, well, you've got to do A, B, C, and D. When we love lists as people, we love having lists because we can check those off. But that is not the Christian life. But what if we ha- encounter someone that lives by a list and we are living more in the grace of things? Is how, do we, how do we do that? How do we live together in unity, which is which is where these chapters fall. The unity of the church is a great thing. When there's disunity, there is a lot of conflict. There is a lot of he said, she said, and that is not glorifying to the Lord. Okay. So we, just like our God, live in community in relationship with other Christians, the church. We weep together. We laugh together. We rejoice together. These are those one another's. We get, we do things together. Not to be selfish. We have to think about other people and be concerned about them. You can think of people that will walk into this door this morning that you don't really like. You love them, but you don't really like them. Those are the ones you need to be concerned about. It's hard for a lot of people. For me, my personality is such that I can walk up to just about anybody and hug them and go, man, I'm so glad you're here today. But for other people, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. And that's okay. I'm not saying I'm strong and they're weak. I'm just saying that is the Lord has gifted my mind to work that way. I'm a relational person whereas other people may not be. It's no big deal. It's all right. The church can get along with me and with others. We can, we can get along and make that work. We are called in a spirit of charity to be long-suffering and patient toward one another. Why should we be that way? Verse 3. Verse 3. Okay. Okay, even Christ did not please himself. And that is where we should turn to. Don't look at me as your example of how to get unified in church. I'm going to fail you, I can assure you. I'll do that here in a minute, I, I can promise you that. But look to Christ, who without sin, while you were still enemies of him, opened your heart and gave you a new heart. Look to, look to our Lord and our Savior. Okay? Verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his, for his good to build him up. 
okay? So all of us should have this view in the spiritual good of our neighbors. How can you make your neighbor better? Sometimes you don't have to say anything at all. Sometimes you have to open up your mouth and express something to them. What about who's your neighbor? Let's go there. Everybody, right? And I believe Christ was answering the Pharisees trying to trick him. What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, which we haven't done the last five minutes. And love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we haven't done that properly. And yet you, you can love your neighbor in a way that shows them who Christ is. So what are some ways, I'm just going to let you guys explain your ways of doing this. What are some ways that you do that? Maybe to people in the church body or in your neighborhood or at work. What are some ways that you love your neighbor? Okay. All right. Make them a pound cake. Okay. All right. What else? Nobody else has any. Just those two. <laughs> Victor? Yeah. Right. Yeah, so let me show you a practical way that that works. Okay? Your neighbor. Andy, my neighbor. Yeah. You ask somebody how you can pray for them directly, it changes attitudes. We had a, a young man in our church in Covington, Georgia, and he would ask you those questions. How can I pray for you? And you would say something, this is, this, this is what I need. Here, let me, let me pray for you right now. Whoa. It is a phenomenal task to put someone at ease, to put your hand on their shoulder and say, let me pray for you. It changes attitudes, it changes relationships, and it furthers the glory of God. It furthers the glory of God. That you may abound in hope. Get to the end. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it, it's phenomenal. Right, yeah, let me do that. Let me do that. Okay, excellent. What about leadership? A lot of you are in leadership at, at your work, at your, in your church, in your home. What about leadership, Doris? That's good. It really is. We need the, the greatest challenge in leadership, if you didn't hear, was to be a good listener. And I got this hint. David's in the back like, what? what? <laughs> so, yes, to, to listen. Sometimes you don't have to say anything at all. How you doing? How can I pray for you? There's the floodgates. They're going to share their, you know, the last week of the terrors that they've been walking through in this life. Good, good. Um, you know, there's a church struggling in Nashville right now because leadership in their church has been very tyrannical, very suppressing, very hurtful to members. You know, as, as your elders May that never be our attitude. If it is, somebody needs to come to us and say, hey, you're ruling with a heavy hand. And when we do that, we forget about the grace that has been given to us. So would you please pray for your elders and your deacons in that way that they would rule graciously. We need it. It is easy to sit in a session meeting and go through our church role. What about this person? What about this person? What about this person? And go, yeah, they, they need help. They need prayer. And it's fun to hear these stories and then to turn you guys over to our Lord and pray for you. It is a, it is a joy. But it's not always what we want to do. We want to get a quick fix like this. Well, let me go whip them into shape. They'll be here on Sunday night. That's a great thing. And that's not the way to do it. But, you know, we, we have to be more concerned about the welfare and the goodness of others. All right, verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. If you got up and you read that passage every morning, it would make, as you walk out that door, it would make a big difference in your life. Because you know, as soon as you walk out the door, one of your neighbors that doesn't really like you because you're a Christian is going to say or do something. And then when you get to work, others are going to point fun of you and make fun of you. And all those insults are going to be lavished on you. However, before they did that, they lavished all those insults and took all the blame and made Christ a reproach. You, brothers and sisters, are not alone in that. Your Savior has taken that on for you. And just, that's a, he took on these things. Let me, let me read this to you. Um. Jesus stood between hostile parties as a mediator 
and he absorbed an unbelievable amount of ins insult, slander, and vicious attacks. None of the things that Jesus was accused of were legitimate. He was without sin. Every time that Jesus was criticized, every time that Jesus was attacked, he was attacked unjustly. No one ever had a right to insult Jesus. But he absorbed all of that hostility, anger, and insults as a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And Paul goes on to say, for everything that was written, this verse 4, Paul goes on to say, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement, of the scriptures, we might have hope. Sometimes we struggle, don't we? Anybody struggle this week or just me? To, just me and Michelle, that's it. Okay. Yeah, you struggle on a daily basis. But hear this, hear this. We struggle to be involved seriously in a disciplined way in, in the deep study of scriptures. We struggle with studying scripture. It's a hard thing to study scripture. Sometimes it's fun when you, when the Lord answers your, your, your heart just, just exactly the way you think he should, it's a little bit easier. But sometimes he doesn't answer the prayer the way that you think it should be answered. You don't understand that passage of scripture as it's applied to the things you're struggling with. How, how, do, you, how do you get this? Well, I'm going to give up. I'm going to go ask non-believer friends. Or are you going to jump back into God's word and let him teach you? Is the study of scripture a duty and an obligation? Yeah. Yeah. Is it fun? Yes, yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not, though, isn't it? I'll share, a, I'll share a story. My mom can't sleep, back's in terrible, bad shape. So if she lays in bed, her back starts hurting. So she gets up. And you all have been prayed for at some point by my mom, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how she does this. But she will get up in the morning and go sit on the back porch. Now, if you've ever been to North Georgia, the air conditioning isn't on yet, okay? It's, the high is like 70. And so mom will go out and cover herself up and sit on the back porch until I bring her a cup of coffee, okay? And if I don't do that early in the morning, you need to bring my coffee, okay, okay, I'm up. And I'll take the coffee. What are you doing today? Oh, I've got, to, I've got to do my studies. And at lunchtime, she comes in. So from 8 to noon, Mom, what are you studying? Oh, listen, I'm reading this, and I'm reading this in Scripture. And then I'm praying. What do you want me to pray about for you about today? Or she will make Mondays her missionary days. Or Tuesdays she will make, you know, whatever group, and then she has individuals that people are on that list. And, I, and then as lunch comes around, she will say, well, what did the Lord teach you in your studies today? 
Really, Mom? I was serving you. I was just being a good servant. <laughs> but every day she asks someone what the Lord has taught them from their devotion. What did the Lord teach you when you read your scripture today? <laughs> wow, okay, this is, it's kind of eye-opening, and I know my mom doesn't work, and I know she can't do a lot of things, standing, sitting, laying. She has to change those positions often, so she has afforded that opportunity. But think about how our lives would be different if we turned all of that free time into just reading a passage of scripture. David encouraged us, I think it was in December, uh, to join the uh, Read Through the Bible in a Year group. You could do an app. There's a couple of different groups, I think, in church that are doing different studies. And, you know, the first couple of months are okay. You know, Genesis and Exodus, you're like, man, this is all right. I like this. And all of a sudden you get to Chronicles and you're like, okay, numbers, oh man, this is not as much fun. And then all of a sudden you get a boost and, and uh, Samuel comes along and you're like, wow, okay, wow, this is pretty exciting again. And then you get back into some stuff and you're like, oh, you can't get through it alone. It, it's, it is a tough task. It, it, it's hard. However, we know that when God teaches us from his scripture, it means something. It really means something. Look at, look at verse uh, 4 with me. Look at verse 4. This is kind of a, it's kind of hit me really good. It says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The endurance and the encouragement. The patience, the encouragement of what? Scriptures. There's not many times you open up your passage of scripture, your Bible, with a sincere heart. Lord, teach me today what I need to know and you read and you meditate on it and you pray on it there's not many times that you walk away going well that didn't change me at all I think I'll just go on my daily life and yet I have a daughter that will tell you well, it just doesn't mean the same to me I don't get anything out of it well you need to you need to pray or you know what you need you need a church body praying for you and you don't have one. And so, as we study, as we meditate, as we read these scriptures, the God that wrote them and breathed them out teaches us. He is a God of encouragement. He is a God that will teach us endurance. And therefore, we have hope. Now, I asked a little bit ago, and only Michelle and I had, a, had any, any struggles this week, but how many times have you gone through a day or a week or even your life where you have struggled and you, you finally figure it out 
You know what I'm not doing? I'm not spending any time in the Word. That, that, that verse kind of hit me pretty good, that, that, that if you are neglecting God's Word, you're probably struggling harder with something else. If Doris... Yeah. I mean, look at all the Bible students all over the world. Right. So right. There's a church in Houston this morning that this, hey, if you hold this up and you say this is the word, you know, da 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 da, and then he sets it down and tells you a good story. That is not the same as being in the word. We've got to study it. We've got to to pray that over each other and relate that to one another so that we get to walk through this life taking on each other's struggles. You can't, you can't get through life all by yourself with all that comes at you without hanging on to God or without God hanging on to you because you know we're going to let go. But God will hold on to you, and yet we have to come alongside each other. And that Paul is, Paul is kind of hammering that home. Um, verses 5 and 6, let me just read this to you. Paul calls attention to the fact that God is the author of endurance and encouragement. Ultimately, our ability to endure and to have courage and to be connected with other people is found in God himself. He is the author of these things, and the more we know God, the closer we draw to God, the greater the capacity we will have for these things. The Lord Jesus Christ has come to reconcile us to God, the Father, and to move us to praise and adore the Father. There is a sense in which Jesus' own ministry points beyond himself to the Father. It was the Father who sent him. His meat and drink was to do the Father's will. He wants us to look toward the Father with the same spirit and with the same sense of obedience, love, and adoration for the Father that he himself manifested. Swallow that. That's what he wants us he wants God the Father to be our meat and drink with the same spirit that he had. <sighs> Don't you long for that? Oh, just for a little bit today. <laughs> Maybe a, a little bit more tomorrow. But the world gets in our way and our eyes lose focus. And then we get to come back to the Westminster Shorter Catechism and repent. Lord, I didn't, I was not able to do that. Would you help me do that today? Right? Verse 7. Kind of hurry through these. Um, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For what? 
for the glory of God. We don't do this for our own pleasure to get a check mark put on our, a star put on our shoulder or whatever. We do this for God's glory. Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, my acceptance of my brothers and sisters in the Lord is a matter of worship. I do this not simply for my own benefit so that I can be popular with the rest of the church. We're called to receive one another, to respect one another, to be accepting towards one another for the glory of God. When I receive a brother or sister without condemning them, then I am doing towards my brother and sister what God would have me to do. And in doing so, I call attention to the fountainhead of patience and encouragement, which is God himself. And so God is glorified in our charitable attitudes towards one another. Here's the bad part. Conversely, God is disgraced when we misbehave, when we are vengeful or impatient, and when we seek to discourage one another with a spirit of destructive competition. Similarly, when we are involved in power struggles, jealousies, covetousness, and the things that destroy human relationships, this shows a lack of grace, and it is a disgrace to the body of Christ. So Paul calls us to attention to the role of Jesus, just as Christ accepted you. How did he accept you? Did you have to perform certain duties before you were accepted? If so, I want to know what they are. <laughs> you were gifted with faith, weren't you? What a great gift that is. And then how do we share that? We live out with one another in peace and in unity. And we forgive because we know that we have been forgiven. Amen? Questions so far? I don't think I have much time left. Two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. This last section. Um, I can read this in two minutes. Um, the last section, Paul has given us a lot of Old Testament uh, verses to back up um, what he's been saying, okay? Um, so Christ is our example. He became a servant to the Jews. He did not come in a role of the, an authoritative king, but he came in the style uh, to demonstrate that God keeps his promises, is trustworthy, is loyal, and is faithful. He does what he says he's going to do. Christ became a servant to confirm God's promises to the patriarchs. He became a servant to confirm the promises to the patriarchs. Paul musters all these quotations from the Old Testament, which calls attention to the fact that the inclusion of the Gentiles in the kingdom of God is not an innovation brought about by Jesus' earthly ministry, but is part of the promises made in antiquity. It is even part of the implied promises that God made to the patriarchs, such as those promises made to Abraham, that he would be the father of what? 
many nations, not a nation, okay? And that through him and through the Jews, all the nations of the world would be blessed. We have been blessed with faith. We have been given this gift of faith. Therefore, we should be a blessing to those around us. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Okay? May the God of hope. He has just said that the God, that God, earlier we said he was the God of endurance and encouragement. May he fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we grow in grace, the Holy Spirit works in us, increasing the depth and the breadth and the intensity of that hope that is in our souls. Amen? Amen. Any questions real quick? You have 30 seconds. Excellent. If anybody wants the uh, cheat sheet, you're welcome to it. <laughs> Let me pray. Oh, man. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to open your word and to read and to study. And, Father, to be encouraged by it as we suffer through things of this life. You, Lord, have given us hope. You have gifted us with faith. Lord, we have been forgiven much. So help us in light of that to be a forgiving people. Allow us to come near to our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, and may we, Lord, reflect your glory as we suffer with them, as we endure with them, as we share this wonderful hope that you have given us. May we reflect your glory. Lord, would you be with us as we enter into worship? We pray that our hearts would be in tune with your scripture. We pray that as we are ushered into your presence, that we would see your majesty and your holiness. And you would envelop us to keep our eyes and ears and minds focused on you and not on the things of this world. We love you, Lord. We thank you for meeting with us today. And we ask and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.